0: Blog Talk Radio. Friday, everybody. Welcome to the Michael Cutler Hour. I am your host, Michael Cutler. It is July the 21st, 2017. Hot day in New York. I hope wherever you are, the weather is great. Hope you're having a great time and your week went well. But here we are trying to play the inevitable game of catch up at the end of the week. And there's certainly no shortage of uh, topics to catch up on. I thank you for joining me, for those of you familiar with me, you know that I'm a retired senior special agent with the former Immigration and Naturalization Service, the old INS, that agency absorbed by DHS um, under the Bush administration in the wake of the terror attacks of 9-11, September 11, 2001, hard to believe, more than uh, or almost 16 years ago, unbelievable, and our politicians, the further we get from that horrific day and those events and that mass murder, that carnage, the more that the politicians have forgotten what it was like to be in America, what it was like to be in New York or Washington or Pennsylvania on that god-awful day. <clears throat> and so theology that has been developed about immigration, that uh, is Purely Orwellian. We're going to spend a little bit of time thinking and talking about George Orwell because, really, <clears throat> you know, I've been making this point forever that we are not experiencing political correctness; we are experiencing the implementation of Newspeak. Many people have heard the term Newspeak. Many people uh, have heard about George Orwell. Not enough people have read Orwell. Back in school, I was required to. My kids were not. But living under my roof, I made it a requirement, and I recommend that all of you do the same. Please read 1984. It's your homework assignment. You will never think of politics or the news media or the First Amendment the same way once you read that amazing book. Orwell was prescient. He was a, a man truly ahead of his time. 1984 explains So much of what we have been experiencing, being subjected to. So really, it will provide clarity. But we're going to talk about that this evening. Meanwhile, I want to remind all of you about some websites I'd like you to go visit, particularly frontpagemag.com. I've been writing for FrontPage for a number of years, proud to be a columnist. They are sponsored by the David Horowitz Freedom Center. I write for capsweb.org. I also write for the social contract. I've been doing a bit of blogging also for Newsmax of late, and they are kind enough to have me on their program fairly regularly. Pardon me. I love being on their show. And two of the people that I'm frequently on with over at Newsmax, Bill Tucker. Uh, I've known Bill, it seems like forever, almost immediately since after 9-11. He used to be one of Lou Dobbs' correspondents when Lou was over at CNN. He is now a host of a show on Newsmax. J.D. Hayworth has his own program as well. J.D. had been a member of Congress. Pardon me. Trying to get rid of this frog that doesn't want to go away. Uh, J.D. in fact attended the hearing where I testified about six or seven weeks after 9-11 before the Immigration Reform Caucus on the failures, the multiple failures of the immigration system that made 9-11 possible. Had the immigration system done its job, 9-11 could not have happened. That is an issue the media and the politicians don't want you to even think about. That's why uh, you see on on the news, other than Newsmax TV, other than One American News Network, I love being on with Graham Ledger. Other than Dana Loesch over at The Blaze, love doing her show. The mainstream media never has former immigration agents on to talk about immigration. Fox News on occasion will have a Border Patrol president or a Border Patrol agent on, but nobody wants to talk about interior enforcement. That was the dirty little secret that got us into the mess. Everybody focused purely on the Mexican border, ignoring the fact that we have 50 border states, that many of the terrorists, in fact, almost all of the terrorists, did not run our borders but entered through international airports. That's the dirty little secret that everyone's been trying to ignore in part because the U.S. Chamber of Commerce does not like borders and they are putting their money where their desires are. They are getting the best government money can buy on 9-11. We had 26 visa waiver countries. After the findings of the 9-11 Commission were made public and I provided testimony to the Commission, it was clear that the visa process lacked integrity, that it was too easy for aliens to come into this country with visas and get lost. We now have millions upon millions of such aliens floating around the United States. And so the 9-11 Commission warned about that. You would have thought that that would have been enough to end the visa waiver program. Not only didn't it end, but it's been expanded. So now 38 countries are on the list. And the Chamber of Commerce is trying desperately to expand the number further. And they have been given an award, a gift, by the United States Supreme Court that backed up Judge Derek Watson from Hawaii. We're going to get into that because the media is downplaying the real significance, and the headlines are straight out of george Orwell. and And that was why this morning, when I was on my friend Bobby Gunther's Bobby Gunther Walsh's program out of Pennsylvania, WAEV. and in fact, I did a speaking event with with Bobby Gunther last year amazing turnout. It was a packed room. And if any of you folks, by the way, become aware of speaking opportunities, please let me know. Go to my website, michaelcutler.net. One word, michaelcutler.net. My program is the antidote to the news blackout. His program. uh, My good friend Neil Young broadcasts out of New Hampshire. I expect to be on his show tomorrow morning. I average 25 to 30 radio interviews per month. That's the antidote to providing the information that TV doesn't want to provide, that the globalists don't want you to have. And the first thing that they do, the accusations begin with, if you believe we should secure our borders against illegal entry, not all entry, illegal entry, you are a xenophobe, a bigot, a hater, and the list goes on, and the list goes on. Meanwhile, we're spending roughly $14 billion, with a B, $14 billion a year on Customs and Border Protection, ostensibly to prevent people and cargo, including drugs, weapons, whatever, from entering the United States without inspection. That's the key word: without inspection. And we spend, you know, part of that money on the inspectors at ports of entry who are supposed to screen to make certain that criminals and terrorists and aliens with dangerous communicable diseases don't enter the United States and pose a threat. Very simple. In fact, I did that job for the first four years of my career. But the moment you say, be careful we don't let in criminals, be careful that there's integrity to the immigration system, you are branded a hater. I was a B'nai B'rith president back in college. I went to the White House when LBJ was the president, Lyndon Johnson. And we tried to convince Johnson to get the Russians to permit Jews and other, excuse me, other religious minorities to leave Russia and come to the United States or go to any country that would have them. I was very proud to do this. My family was decimated in the Holocaust. I believe in helping people. As an immigration inspector, I was thrilled to admit refugees. That was then, this is now. What has changed is that now, if we err, in screening people it's not just that you may wind up with a fugitive from justice i mean that's how all the nazi bums the nazi war criminals came in they were able to acquire new identities and came into the united states under false id bad enough bad enough but today it's not just fugitives and war criminals it's terrorists who are determined to come to the united states and kill us so if we make a mistake and err on the side of letting someone in The potential exists with each and every one of those entries that the person we permit in may be somebody who wants us dead, who wants to do harm to us. Under those circumstances, the government has a clear obligation to protect national security and the safety of its citizens, you would think. But maybe not so much. So the B'nai B'rith, by the way, the Anti-Defamation League, which is a component of the B'nai B'rith, has written articles accusing me of being anti-immigrant. Based on what? Based on the fact that I said we need to know who we're letting in. To let people into a country, just like letting people into your home, sight unseen, uh, is to welcome a catastrophe. We also have a problem with not enough jobs for Americans. We've been admitting more authorized foreign workers into the United States than the number of new jobs that have been created. What could possibly go wrong? But yet, if you dare say any of these things, again, you're a hater. You're anti-immigrant. And the news media falls right in line. If you're out there demonstrating for open borders and amnesty programs, and I don't care what network, folks, it could be Fox News, it could be MSNBC, and these were all networks that I was on. I, I was averaging 15 or more television interviews per month in the years immediately following 9-11 hundreds of interviews but today if you stand there and say we can't let everybody in we've got to be careful you are branded anti-immigrant and the people that want anarchy are branded pro immigrant never mind that the immigration laws are balanced when i was an inspector at the airport yes i did deny aliens entry into the united states if they had phony documents if they were on a watch list Because they had criminal convictions, or they had been previously deported, or maybe it was obvious they were coming to work because they didn't have any money, and so forth. A visa is not a guarantee of entry. When aliens are required visas to enter the United States, the visa is simply a ticket that gets that inspector that alien into the booth of the inspector at the airport. Understand that. When aliens come from countries who are not on the visa waiver list, if they don't have a visa, they can't get on the airplane. That provides uh, some airline security as well. But nobody wants to talk about that. So, and by the way, we admit a million lawful immigrants every year. We naturalize hundreds of thousands of new citizens. Both of those numbers are more than the rest of the world combined. We admit tens of millions of temporary visitors, that is to say non-immigrant aliens. So this isn't about... We're going to lock the doors and don't let anybody in. All I'm saying is look through the damn peephole and know who you're letting in so we don't wind up with another 9-11, so we don't wind up with a Times Square bomber, so that we don't wind up with a Boston Marathon bombing, so that we don't wind up with a San Bernardino terror attack. That's what this is about. That's what this is about. But again, we come back to George Orwell. So let me go right to um, a document that I think you will find interesting. And George Orwell's book, 1984, in, in his book, Orwell came up with a bunch of interesting ideas. One was the creation of a language known as Newspeak. And people have heard it, but they're not sure what it is. Newspeak was designed to create thought control. We think in words. If you eliminate words, you can eliminate the thoughts. There is an appendix to the book 1984, and it provides an explanation as to the purpose of Newspeak. Bear with me. I'm going to read this to you. And I want you to think about what Orwell was doing in creating this notion of Newspeak. Not to be confused, by the way, with Old which is what we all speak now. Old speak. Newspeak was designed to replace old spe- speak with a definite purpose. <clears throat> they also use the term Ingsoc. I n g s o c. That was a word in Newspeak, and it was an abbreviation for English Socialism Party. Okay, the English Socialist Party was known as Ingsoc. I n g s o c. And I'm mentioning it because you're going to hear Ingsoc in-, in-, in this piece that I'm about to read to you. So here it goes, and it says this. The purpose of Newspeak was not only to provide a medium of expression to the worldview and mental habits proper to the devotees of Ingsoc, English Socialism, or the English Socialist Party, but to make all other modes of thought impossible. Did you catch that? This was about making all other modes of thought impossible. It was intended that when new speak had been adopted once and for all and old speak forgotten, a heretical thought, that is, a thought diverging from the principles of Ingsoc, the English Socialist Party, should be literally unthinkable at least so far as thought is dependent on words. Its vocabulary was so constructed as to give exact and often very subtle expression to every meaning that a party member could properly wish to express while excluding all other meanings and also the possibility of arriving at them by indirect methods. This was done partly by the invention of new words, but chiefly by eliminating, by by eliminating undesirable words, and by stripping such words as remained of unorthodox meanings, and so far as possible of all secondary meanings whatsoever. To give a single example, still existed in Newspeak, but it could only be used in such statements as, this dog is free from lice, or this field is free from weeds. It could not be used in its old sense of political free, or intellectually free, since political and intellectual freedom no longer existed even as concepts and were therefore of necessity nameless. Quite apart from the suppression of definitely heretical words, reduction of vocabulary was regarded as an end in itself, and no word that could be dispensed with was allowed to survive. Newspeak was designed not to end, but to diminish the range of thought. And this purpose was indirectly assisted by cutting the choice of words down to a minimum. And you know, when I read this, horrifying as it is, I'm immediately drawn to think about, have you guessed it? Twitter. Think about it. Never mind that Americans used to be citizens of the most literate country, that we prided on ourselves, on our ability as writers and being involved with literature, suddenly we grunted each other in 144-character electronic transmissions. Forget about punctuation, forget about spelling, forget about anything. We're going to bark at each other. Eliminate the words, you eliminate the thoughts. Now, what words are we eliminating? Well, let's start with the word alien. The term alien has fallen into disrepute, going back to Jimmy Carter. Carter said, nope, immigration agents will no longer use the term alien, illegal alien, to describe illegal aliens. I remember participating in debates on college campuses, and I was told that the word alien was the moral equivalent of the n word and when I would ask people why that was, they would say, well, they say, we've been told, I've heard. Those are the usual arguments. Not exactly reliable sources. I've been told, I've heard, they say. Those are your three choices. Which one do you want? And I said, wait a minute. The term alien simply means any person not a citizen or national of the United States. Where's the insult? That's like me to say that uh, I, I have a good friend, but he's not, my member, he's not a member of my family. He's not my relative. You're a good guy, but since you weren't born in America and since you didn't naturalize in America and since you don't have parents who are American citizens, you're not a citizen. You might be a nice guy. You might be moral. You might be brilliant. You might be talented. It's just that you're an alien because you're not a citizen. An alien, any person, not a citizen or national of the United States. Where's the insult? It doesn't say you're stupid or you smell bad. It's a statement of reality. You're not a citizen. But you see, the problem with the word alien is it draws a line, a distinction between citizens and non-citizens. If you are a globalist, the notion of alien has got to be eliminated because aliens have no inherent right to enter the United States. And under our laws, American citizens must always without exception and under no circumstances could they not be admitted if you're an american citizen you must be admitted when i went through training at the border patrol academy the point was made that when a person walks into that inspector's booth at a port of entry whether it's at an airport land border crossing or seaport the inspector's first job is to look at the documents determine if they're legitimate, determine the identity as best as he or she can of the person standing there. And once the decision is made by the inspector that the person seeking admission is, in fact, a United States citizen, the inspection ends. No more inspection. It's now called an examination, an examination of the documents. Why is there such a clear distinction? Because under no circumstances whatsoever, none, zero, zip, you cannot, for any reason, any way, any shape, any form, you may not bar an American citizen from entering the United States. Period. There's no qualifier. If the person is an American, you must absolutely, 101% positively, You must admit that person into the United States because they are citizens and they are absolutely, without exception and without qualification, entitled to be admitted into the United States. You have no choice. To do otherwise would be to commit a crime. You may not stop an American from entering the United States. Now, you may hold that person if you find out that they're wanted by the FBI or DEA or the local police. You may well hold on to them so the other agency can make the arrest. But that's the only adverse action that an immigration officer can take against an American citizen is to hold that person for another law enforcement agency. You know, you have a guy that's a serial killer. The FBI's looking for him. The, the New York City Police Department. Look, you hang on to that guy. You call them. We got him. He's here. They come down. They take custody. But you cannot, under any circumstances, say to that American, get back on the airplane, you're not getting in. doesn't happen. So now we come to President Trump and what has come to be known as the travel ban. The travel ban. Isn't that an interesting choice of words? No one is stopping anybody from traveling, folks. This is an entry restriction. Title Eight. United States Code, Section 1182F, as in Frank, says this. Whenever the president finds that the entry of any aliens or of any class of aliens into the United States would be detrimental to the interests of the United States, he may, by proclamation and for such period as he shall deem necessary, Suspend the entry of all aliens or any class of aliens as immigrants or non immigrants, or impose on the entry of aliens any restrictions that he may deem appropriate. Crystal clear. This isn't the new law. Jimmy Carter, president, barred the entry of Iranians when the Iranians overran the U.S. Embassy in Tehran in 1980. In fact, I was one of the agents who went out there to look for Iranians. Excuse me, at least in New York and I'm sure other cities, agents were told, immigration agents were told, drop everything, put all your casework back in the file cabinet, you will devote 100% of your time arresting aliens who are here from Iran who are in violation of status, and you will locate as many Iranians as possible because we are concerned that they might be involved in subversive terrorist or criminal activities or espionage. So we had a clear mandate. Drop everything and hunt for Iranians. Was it legal? You're damn right. Did we do it? Damn right. Were there any protests? Hell no. Obama prevented the entry of other aliens, and we had a problem where we couldn't vet them, invoking the same section of law. Donald Trump comes along. Issues in executive order that has come to be known as the travel ban. You know what the real title of the executive order is? I bet you don't. And the reason that you won't know it is because straight out of the pages of George Orwell, if you knew what this was about, you would agree with him. So they call it a travel ban, and they identify the ban as involving aliens from Muslim-majority countries. Is that not how they've been describing it? They don't say aliens from countries associated with terrorism. Uh Uh-uh. They don't say aliens from countries where we're unable to verify their identities because the governments are dysfunctional. Uh Uh-uh. You're not going to hear that. So what do they call it? a travel ban, aliens who come from Muslim-majority countries. Fox News, MSNBC, all the usual suspects. I was shocked at Fox News. They know better, I thought. Not a Muslim ban. In fact, if the president wanted this to be a Muslim ban, then he's inept and incompetent, because Indonesia by itself has nearly as many people Uh, living within it, has as many citizens as the number of citizens who reside in all six of those countries that are on the list. And Indonesia is a Muslim-majority country. Pakistan, Muslim-majority country, not on the list. What happened? What happened? Because it's not about religion, you see. But go to the news and see what they say. Muslim-majority country travel bans title and this is why you're not going to see it on tv or in the newspapers the title of this executive order both of them because the issue was subsequent they both had the same name protecting the nation from foreign terrorist entry into the united states that's the name of the executive order that is being called a travel ban travel bans. And in reality, protecting the nation from foreign terrorist entry into the United States. The 9-11 Commission made it abundantly clear that if immigration had done the job, couldn't have gotten in. And the very first paragraph of the preface of the 9-11 Commission staff report on terrorist travel makes the point that it might, might be obvious to state it, but it essentially says, terrorists can't attack us if they can't get into the country. Therefore, border security must be a component of national security. And they said up until now, it hasn't been, but we will explain in the following pages why it must be. They talk about visas. They talk about the inspection process. They talk about counterfeit documents. They talk about how human traffickers—that that is to say, alien smugglers. Again, we got to get rid of the word alien. I was part of the alien smuggling unit in New York in the late 70s. It wasn't called the human trafficking unit. As compared with what the canine trafficking unit it was called the alien smuggling unit. Alien smuggling, well, we got to get rid of the word alien. The green card that aliens carry around satisfies the requirement of the Alien Registration Act of 1940, enacted as World War II was starting to appear on the horizon. Alien Registration Act, the cards were known as the Alien Registration Receipt Cards. Why? Because those cards were issued in compliance with the Alien Registration Act. Now they call them PERMs, P-E-R-M. Why? Because it's short for permanent resident. Permanent, PERM. My mom, may she rest in peace, used to go to the beauty parlor, and she used to get a PERM. It was a permanent hairdo. They called it a PERM. Now a PERM is a green card, because the word alien has to be stricken from the vernacular. When the Department of Homeland Security was created, George Bush created it in such a way where it was impossible to enforce the immigration laws and secure the borders. That's not my statement. That's a statement from a Republican chairman of the House Immigration Subcommittee, John Hostetler. I testified for John at least eight or nine times. Courageous guy. And eventually he lost funding from the Republican Party, probably because he had locked horns with a couple members of Congress. But I wouldn't doubt because he was crystal clear on his opposition to Bush's open border agenda. And Jeb Bush is no better, the guy that said that coming into this country illegally was an act of love. Jeb, if you're listening, I doubt it, but you're looking for love in all the wrong places. But this is the false narrative. So George Bush, George W. Bush, you know, made sure to cut immigration into three little components and then merged them with other agencies that have nothing to do with immigration enforcement even though the enabling legislation, HSA, the Homeland Security Act, was supposed to emphasize immigration law enforcement to coincide with the findings of the 9-11 Commission. That first and foremost, 9-11 happened almost purely, almost purely because of immigration failures. That was the issue. OK, it wasn't about people bringing in heads of cabbage from uh, you know, wherever. It wasn't about people sneaking wallets into the United States from Italy. It wasn't about diamonds. It was about people who were terrorists entering the United States, claiming political asylum, lying on their applications, getting U.S. citizenship, getting U.S. passports to embed themselves and move freely not only around the United States but around the world. We've undermined the security of our allies as well. How wonderful. And so they created the Interior Enforcement Unit for Immigration Enforcement, was known as ICE, Immigration and Customs Enforcement. Pretty clear. And then George Bush, I guess, looked at that and said, gee whiz, immigration. We don't want people to think about immigration. We want open borders. That's why they locked up Border Patrol agents Ramos and Compion for doing their job and, and having an altercation and it wound up in a shooting with a drug dealer on the Mexican border. And they even apparently concealed from the agent's defense attorneys the fact that the guy that they had shot, they didn't realize they shot him, he ran away, uh, had been Stopped numerous times with loads of narcotics coming into the United States. This is about open borders from both parties, folks. Make no mistake about what this is about. So they called it ICE, Immigration and Customs Enforcement. And most of the bosses came out of customs, not immigration. No inclination, no background, no experience in enforcing immigration law. Not an accident, by design. Keep those borders open. Keep those cheap laborers coming in. Keep on exploiting people who have no choice. This is the contemporary version of slavery. But the word immigration, gosh, that's bad. We don't want people to be thinking about immigration. So they developed a second agency within an agency known as Homeland Security Investigations, HSI. What word is missing from HSI that we just heard? Immigration. So no longer is this about enforcing immigration laws. It's about making America secure. Homeland Security Investigations. They're actually working for ICE, but their badges, their ray jackets, their credentials, and the signage in their offices, you don't see the word immigration anywhere. It's been expunged. Homeland Security Investigations, HSI. Again, why? To get the word immigration off the front page. And to teach these folks that immigration law enforcement is nothing. Most of the people who hired on after Bush came to office, and certainly after Obama came to office, have no interest in enforcing the immigration law because George W. Bush made certain to wipe clean institutional memory about how critical immigration law enforcement is because he is a globalist. I don't care if he's a conservative or not, and please don't tell me he's not really a conservative because he wants open borders. Was Ronald Reagan a conservative in your judgment? He was one of the most open borders Republicans you could ever imagine. He gave us the first amnesty. The Justice Department briefed us when the amnesty of 86, which was part of the Immigration Reform and Control Act, was enacted. They said, oh, we're looking about a million aliens. We wound up with between three and a half and four million. You an amnesty. And the president, Reagan, was so considerate that he made certain to put a confidentiality component into the law so that under no circumstances, under no circumstances, could we share an amnesty file with any other law enforcement agency. Now think about that. If the FBI came to me when I was an agent, if a New York City detective came to me, if DEA, if the IRS, if ATF, whatever, if they came to me and said, Mike, Joe Smith, a citizen of Great Britain, is wanted for a double homicide. Do you have a photo? Do you have an address? I would dig up the guy's immigration file. I would let them review it. And then I would put a notice in the file for standard operating procedure, basically. Routine investigative matter. The immigration file was reviewed by Special Agent Schmidlap of the FBI on such and such date. Right in the file. The amnesty files could not be shared anybody. If the FBI came to me and said, Mike, we've got a guy and he's running through Midtown Manhattan with a U-Haul truck and, and, and an atom bomb in the back of the truck. We need to know what he looks like. Do you have this photograph? And if I went through all of his immigration material and the only place where we had a photograph was in the amnesty file, if I gave that to the FBI, I would be committing a five-year felony. Do not collect go directly to jail, lose your job, lose your pension, lose the whole ball of wax. You cannot do it. And then they liberalized it. After a while, they said, well, if the FBI agent comes to you with a signed order from a federal judge, then he can see it, but under only those circumstances. So if the guy comes to me and says, the guy has a bomb, it's going off in an hour, I had to ask him. You have the court order. No, we don't have time for the court order. Sorry. Well, but people are going to die. Well, I have a choice now. Am I willing to risk going to jail for five years? Or do I err on the side of giving the file to the FBI and then face a grand jury afterwards? That was the gift from Ronald Reagan. And he never said that it was the biggest mistake of his presidency. People who worked for him said it. Okay, let's be real clear. Um, In fact, O'Reilly made that point on the program. I've been on with O'Reilly. I have certain opinions about Bill O'Reilly, but he did the homework, and I've looked it up, and I can't find any statement attributable to Ronald Reagan where he said, big mistake. These are globalists. This has nothing to do with being liberal or conservative. It's whether or not you're a globalist or a populist, whether or not you believe in secure sovereign borders or you don't. And I can tell you that people who are affiliated with the globalists, U.S. Chamber of Commerce and others, have told me borders are a huge impediment to their wealth. I've said to them, our borders are our first and last line of defense. And they look at me with this nasty little sneer and they say, yeah, that border needs to go. It's an impediment to my wealth. You know how much money I could make if you took down that damn border. You're interfering with my wealth that's what i've been told you see they are more concerned with head counts on airliners than body counts in the morgue and so when the president issues this restriction on the entry of potential terrorists they didn't call it a national security order they didn't call it a terrorism order they called it a travel ban for muslims And then you wonder why there were many people who were angry with the president. His ratings have fallen. Yes, because you've accused them of God knows what. And then it gets even more interesting. Because when the ban was challenged, Judge Derek Watson in Hawaii said that the Supreme Court said that under certain circumstances, aliens could be exempt entry in the United States if they were close family members. Let me read this to you. This is remarkable. Here's two paragraphs from the Supreme Court decision. So this is the Supreme Court's original response to the appeal over what Watson had started. So the Supreme Court said this. For individuals, this is who is to be exempt from the restrictions. In other words, they're allowed in. For individuals, a close, familiar relationship is required. As foreign a national who wishes to enter the United States to live with or visit a family member, like Doe's wife or Dr. El Sheikh's mother-in-law, clearly has such a relationship. As for entities, the relationship must be formal, documented, and formed in, in the ordinary course. Rather than for the purpose of ev- evading EO2. EO2 is executive order, too. <clears throat> that was the second order to prevent the entry of terrorists. The students from the designated countries who have been admitted to, to the University of Hawaii have such a relationship with an American entity. So, too, would a worker who accepted an offer of employment from an American company or a lecturer invited to address an American audience. An American individual or entity that has a bona fide relationship with a particular person seeking to enter the country as a refugee can legitimately claim concrete hardship if that person is excluded. And as to these individuals and entities, we do not disturb the injunction. But when it comes to refugees who lack any such connection to the United States for the reasons we have set out, the balance tips in favor of the government's compelling need to provide for the nation's security. Listen to that. The balance tips to the compelling need for national security, It tips. Well, what happens otherwise? National security isn't, isn't compelling? And the idea that we're talking about families, I want you to think about this. You mean family members aren't terrorists? Every terrorist that, that you've seen Many of them have families. Look at the Middle East, where a terrorist blows himself up, kills a bunch of people, and then Hamas gives his family lots of money. His family. Think about the Tsarnayev family that came to the United States from Russia. They claimed political asylum. And guess what they went and did? They went back to Russia after they claimed asylum, which means they committed fraud. Now, what's interesting is that there was a, a bill that's been proposed... Um, so that refugees who go back to their country would immediately lose their refugee status. They need to expand this to include political asylum. It doesn't right now, and it should. Congressman Labrador needs to hear from you about that. because It's his bill. I'm glad he's doing it with refugees, but we need to expand it. But just just wait one second and think about this. Grandparents of grandchildren— all these other people. Oh, we can't separate these families. That's all that we keep hearing. And so, then you had the uh, the judge in Hawaii turn around and say, "No, no, no. Now wait a moment. That's not fair. Why are you only doing it for? Um, why are you only doing this for um, immediate family members?" So what did did he do? He said, well, you know what? Brothers-in-law and sisters-in-law and cousins and aunts and uncles should also be exempt from travel restrictions. Now, here is the point that you need to understand. First of all, terrorists can be family members. And by the way, the Supreme Court said that fiancé's have the right to enter the United States, even if they're from those six countries that are problematic? Did they not? It was five out of uh, eight judges ruled that. Did they not see what happened in San Bernardino with that woman who came here on a K-1 visa and it would appear that she was the one who provided the incentive for that bloodbath that killed how many innocent victims of their former friends who held a, who, uh, they gave them gifts when she became pregnant? And then they, they gunned them down. That, that, that woman was a, came here on a fiancé petition. But that wasn't what you saw in the papers. And what did you see in the papers? Well, on July 19, 2017, CNN reported. Now, this is the CNN article. Supreme Court says grandparents and relatives can enter U.S. despite travel ban. Grandparents. Why didn't they say cousins? Why didn't they say brothers and sisters-in-law? Why didn't they say aunts and uncles, grandparents? Because you're thinking about some guy in a wheelchair. You know, he's 78 years old. He can barely breathe. And we're going to keep him out because Donald Trump is an evil man. Grandparents, right? And all over the newspapers, all over TV, grandparents. That's all we kept hearing. They didn't talk about cousins. Why did the Supreme Court allow students in? Many of the terrorists have been students. Faisal Shahzad, the Times Square bomber, who was described, by the way, by the New York City Police Commissioner at the time, Ray Kelly, as an example of a homegrown terrorist. Homegrown. It's Orwellian. He's not homegrown. He came here at the age of 20 on a student, student visa from Pakistan. The GAO did a study several years ago. ABC reported on it that thousands of students, thousands of students have gone missing in America Many of them, at least a couple thousand, had specific national security concerns. I myself testified six months after 9-11 about how two of the dead terrorists, Mohammed Atta and Marwan al Shahi, could possibly have been granted authorization to change their status to that of students to attend, of all things, flight school. The Supreme Court said... If you are a student with a bona fide fide school, and you have a bona fide relationship, you are exempt this, this, this travel order, this entry restriction. We've seen time and again where students are involved in terrorism. The Supreme Court said, too bad. If you're a student, if you've got a student visa, we can't stop you from coming in. If you're working for a company, that's fine. We can't stop you from entering the United States. And we're talking about countries where the IDs are unreliable. So in theory, you could have a terrorist from Lebanon who can't get a Lebanese passport, go to Yemen, because Yemen is on the list, and say, hey, Charlie, can you help me out? Here's 1000 bucks. I need a passport. And they give him a passport that says he's Yemeni. And then he claims to have a cousin in the United States. And by the way, if we're talking about a brother or a sister, a or father, or whatever, you can do DNA testing. In fact, France has resorted to doing DNA testing because of familiar relationship issues where political asylum is concerned. What is DNA going to do when you're dealing with in-laws, brother-in-law, sister-in-law, cousins, you know, 18 removed, students coming here and they disappear? What the Supreme Court has done, I hope you understand this, I hope they understand this, is they've set a precedent that has erased Title VIII, United States Code, Section 1182F. They've taken that defensive mechanism out of the president's toolkit. If the president, for example, during his morning brief is told, Mr. President, we have information, that there are aliens coming to the United States intent on carrying out a massive terrorist attack. We have partial names. We're not sure what passports they're traveling on. We know they have multiple identities. But among the passports are, let's say, Yemen, Ethiopia, um, Syria, and, and, and Iran. And the president says, well, do you think you can define who they are? And they say, yes, but we're going to need a couple of weeks. He could say, okay, you know what? We're not going to allow any citizens from those four countries into the United States because we don't want to have a bloodbath in America. And that's reasonable. Not any more. The Supreme Court has ruled that if you have a job in the United States, if you're going to school maybe to learn how to give dogs haircuts, God knows, to learn how to drill holes in wood because they have trade schools. They have 9,000 schools in America. These aren't all Yale and Princeton. And by the way, why in the world are we educating people who come from countries that sponsor terrorism so that they can become more effective killers? In fact, by the way, Dianne Feinstein made that point on February February 24th, 1998, when the Senate Judiciary Committee held a hearing on foreign terrorists operating in the United States. She said, let's reconsider the the, 9-11, visa waiver program this is four years before 9-11 or three years before 9-11 she said maybe we should no longer be giving educational training to people who come from those countries that sponsor terrorism because we don't want them to learn how to become nuclear physicists or learn how to become biochemists, biochemist but they could then learn how to create weapons of mass destruction so this isn't far-fetched this has been done before What the Supreme Court has done with that decision, which is getting very little attention in the news, is to order America's shields down at a very dangerous time. This nonsense that this is about grandparents certainly makes the government look bad, makes Donald Trump look as though he's inconsiderate of families. In reality, that's the tip of a very big iceberg. It's not just grandparents. It's anybody who can basically claim any sort of family relationship. Cousins, in-laws, whatever. And if they're cousins, they don't even have to change their names because you don't expect cousins to have the same last name. Think about that. You just come in and say, I got a cousin. And some guy fills out a form, perhaps. I'm not sure how they're going to administer it. Yes, I'm Joe's cousin. He needs to come to live with me. And away you go. So understand what the Supreme Court has done. They have taken an important piece of authority that the president has that has been used by Democrats, by the way, and they told Donald Trump no more. And you see, what now has happened is a precedent, a very dangerous precedent has been established. The president apparently no longer has the authority to say, look, we have a problem with people from a particular country that's looking to destroy us. They're marching around screaming, death to America. We need to take them at their word. Well, that's fine. You could take them at their word, but you no longer have the authority to block their entry into the United States. So what's next? What's next? Are they going to tell inspectors at ports of entry that they may no longer fail to admit people? You know, when... President Trump initially implemented his executive order, a couple of hundred aliens from those countries, and then it was seven countries, landed at international airports around the United States, and the riots broke out. And the ACLU sent a team of lawyers, they crack lawyers out there. Oh, my God, the president did this. These people were in the air, and he pulled the rug out from under them. How dare he? So I believe it was fewer than 200 people who came here and were told, sorry, we're not going to admit you. In an average year, back in 2013, according to the GAO, guess how, I think it was the GAO, I have to go back into my notes, but this was an official government study. Guess how many aliens were denied entry into the United States by inspectors at ports of entry for various reasons? The alien had counterfeit documents. The alien apparently was going to come and work because they didn't have the financial wherewithal to sustain themselves for the amount of time they claimed they would be visiting. The alien had been previously deported. The name showed up on a watch list. There's a a number of reasons why an alien seeking entry might be turned around at a port of entry and told. Either you get back on the airplane, withdraw your application for admission, or we're going to detain you and put you before an immigration judge. We did that routinely when I was an inspector. Remember, I did these jobs. 2013. The the statistic that I came up with, going through these documents, was that approximately 200,000 200,000 aliens were denied entry into the United States when they got to a port of entry or when they got to the land border crossing for one reason or another, by the inspectors who are employed by Customs and Border Protection. CBP employs the inspectors, the Border Patrol, and support staff. They have more than 6,000 employees. They have a budget that runs in excess of $14 billion per year. But all it took was the president to say, those 200-odd people can't come in. It was near riots. The news coverage was unbelievable. Meanwhile, under Barack Obama, 200,000 aliens in one year were denied entry into the United States when they showed up at at an inspection booth, whether it was at a land border port and they simply got back in their car and drove back home, or when they flew into an international airport, or when they got off a ship or tried to get off a ship at at a seaport. 200,000. 200 aliens on that day because of the president's order was enough to start riots because people are being misled. Grandparents can't see their grandchildren. Why don't they say that schools can't, you know, talk about the schools? And it's not always schools of higher education. How you know many schools are out there that teach how to give animals haircuts or, or do basket weaving or, uh, or, or knitting or whatever? Half of those schools are mills. They're bogus. They're fake. They don't even exist. I don't know if it's half, but a substantial number. And there's no way to know because there's not enough agents to go out there and and really investigate all these schools to make certain that they actually exist. Immigration fraud, ladies and gentlemen, was identified by the 9-11 Commission. Visa fraud was identified by the 9-11 Commission as being the two uh, most frequently used methods of entry and embedding of terrorists. And not just on 9-11. They looked at 94 terrorists altogether leading up to 9-11 in the decade before. Of the 94, 59 employed either or visa fraud and immigration benefit fraud, applying for asylum, applying for student visa, whatever, applying for political asylum or refugee. I don't know if refugee status is on the list, but that's the kind of immigration benefits we're talking about. The Supreme Court has now turned around and said, nope, if you claim any relationship, and they agreed, they agreed, With this judge in Hawaii, not just grandparents and mothers and fathers, but now it includes cousins and brothers-in-law and sisters-in-law, fiancé petitions. Basically, we are well on the path to not having a border, not having a border. How in the world do you defend a country when you can't prevent your enemies from gaining entry into the United States? During the Second World War, if you see those movies, you know. You see the commandos sitting in the airplane. They used to call them Goonie Birds, the DC-3s. Uh, C-47 was the, the destination for the military, those little twin-engine jobs. And they'd be bouncing along. And in the dead of night, they had black face on. They would jump out of the airplane. Just these were commandos to get behind the enemy line. You know how terrorists get behind enemy lines today? They get a commercial airline ticket, they fly into LAX, they fly into JFK, they fly into Miami International, they fly into O'Hare. Never mind that this poses a threat to national security. Never mind that this could get people killed. And if we're going to talk about family reunification, then I'm compelled to make one final point about that. How about the American families? who can never enjoy this notion of family reunification because their loved ones were killed by terrorists or criminals who had no right to be in the United States, but we let them in, and sanctuary cities harbored and shielded them. How about those American families, kids who lost a spouse, who lost a father, who lost a mother? Why? Because the Supreme Court apparently believes That not just American citizens have an absolute right to enter the United States, but anybody who saunters in, all they've got to do is claim to be related. And that's the final point. Well, if they entered when they were, you know, 14 years old, the dreamers, if they did this, if they did that, no, if they claim they did that. Because if you don't have the capacity or the capability of verifying the information, these folks all know what they need to say in order to be able to qualify. I was being driven into the studio a couple of years ago. I think it was Fox News or one of those studios. And my limo driver, very nice man, told me he was from Lebanon originally. And I asked him how he was able to enter to the United States. I played dumb about the immigration issue. I said, "Was well, it hard to make papers? He said, oh, no, 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 no. He said, the United States government is the dumbest government in the entire country. He said, we always get together and have parties and laugh at how stupid Reagan and the U.S. government is well, that really warmed the cockles of my heart, whatever part of the heart that is. And I felt like Johnny Carson and Ed McMahon with McMahon saying, how stupid are we? And he said to me, well, you know, back then, and this, by the way, is because of what Chuck Schumer did, all you had to do was say you were a farmer. And if you claimed to be a farmer, you got amnesty. So I claimed to be a farmer. I was here illegally. And they immediately gave me lawful status. I eventually became an American. I brought in my, my all of my sisters and all of my brothers and all of their children he said hell i brought in like 75 people because i said i was a farmer and then i told my friends about it and they did the same thing he said my entire village from lebanon now lives in new jersey and we're all together every weekend and we always drink a toast to the stupidity of america i wanted to deck this guy the stupidity of america well we just got dumber we just got dumber Because what the Supreme Court has ruled is that that section of law that was part of the Immigration Act to protect America, and by the way, look at the standard against the interests of, doesn't say you have to have an atom bomb or the plague or anything, if it's not in America's best interest, that should be enough that the president should be able to say, you're not getting in. That authority, folks, has just gone the way of the dodo bird. I don't even know what to say. I want to thank you for joining me this evening, yet another installment of what a fine mess we're in, what a revolt and development this is. But please, educate your neighbors, get involved in the process. You know, I always like to make that point, that democracy is not a spectator sport. If you find my articles interesting, if you find the show interesting, tell your friends, tell your neighbors, post it on Facebook, be part of my bucket brigade of truth, and again, Uh, democracy is not a spectator sport. Have a great weekend, everybody. I look forward to seeing you again same time next week right here on the Michael Cutler Hour. So long for now.